Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 6th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get started with a quick take on Empower Field at Mile High, the new name of the Bronco Stadium, Pettacahoon from Westward, Empower, the latest company to go ahead and not worry about the jinx that they're going to be defunct and out of business in five or six years from now. Uh, this came out of nowhere for me, but you're uh, you much better. The, the, your finger on the pulse, what's going on in Denver. Was this a surprise to you? Well, it probably took the Broncos a couple of years to scrape together the cash they'd need to pay anyone to take the name of the field, given the, rec- given the record of the previous sponsors and also how the team has been playing out. We lost Invesco. That worked out really well for them, and we see how well Sports Authority worked out. So we can only hope that Empower will help all the team with their unique services, which are retirement services. At least people will be prepared for life after the Broncos. I saw a funny tweet about that saying, my, my retirement's with Empower. Now what do I need to do? Yeah, so uh, who knows what goes, goes from here. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, in, in, I didn't get all the different numbers, but I did remember hearing something that if they're there the entire term, uh, that they'll pay, I think, something like $50 million that goes towards the upkeep of the stadium. But then they slipped in a little thing of saying, oh, and by the way, the stadium might need over $200 million worth of work. Are you sensing the taxpayers eventually getting screwed in this one? Well, yeah, and of course, that would, we should name the stadium after the people who paid for it. So we should call a taxpayer-funded corporate welfare for multimillionaires stadium. Um, at mile high. Yeah, at, at, at mile high. <laughs> um, and, of course, nobody – it's now well established that whatever corporate logo you slap on it, people still call it mile, mile high as they should. And as, as Patty said, it's, it's a uh, – a perilous thing for a, a company to do. You know, it's like, oh, I just got a job as a, a keyboardist for the Grateful Dead. Oh, it's fine. That's very prestigious, but uh, nobody's going to sell you life insurance anymore. Or, you know, it's like being the drummer in Spinal Tap. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if they, uh, uh, how, how long that name is on the stadium. Folks, you know you're in for a good show. We're three minutes in. We've already mentioned Spinal Tap and Grateful Dead. It's going to be an awesome one. Eric Sonderman, political analyst. Uh, I don't know about naming rights anymore. Is it, 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 clearly, it's a big deal. Someone signed up for millions of dollars, but uh, do they have the same panache as they used to? Well, it just doesn't roll off the tongue. I mean, I, I, I guarantee you most of our, our viewers and no one around the table had heard of Empower before a few days ago when this press release uh, goes out. We have Coors Field, well-known brand. Pepsi Center, very well-known brand. And power doesn't, you know, quite live up to it. Uh, the Broncos are going to need all the power they can get this year. Uh, I think they're probably in for uh, tough sledding, so maybe uh, they will feel more empowered. But uh, I don't know how long this one lasts. Natasha Gardner, uh, articles that are fifty-two eighty. Uh, one of the most distressing tweets I saw was the fact that the Empower logo looks like about half of the New England Patriots logo. So there's, there's a little too close of an association there, for at least for, I think, most Bronco fans' taste. Uh, what do you take away from this new announcement? Well, and I saw that as well. And once you see it, it's hard to unsee it. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it, this is interesting because it's almost a perennial topic at this point. And in case anyone has missed the memo, Bronco season is starting again. So make sure you check your calendars do them before you start driving on a Sunday. Make sure you know what's happening. So the season starts on Monday. We'll see how things go. Um, certainly should be a tumultuous year. But I think that anyone who's concerned about the name should just remember football is a business. It is a big business. And they're going to make as much money off of this as they can. So in some ways, Bronco fans should just be thankful that it's not on the front of the jersey yet as it is in other sports. That's a good point. I think you're prognosticating the doom there appropriately. That's a good, good point. 
Former State Senator Mike Johnson dropped out of the U.S. Senate race this week. He was the fundraising leader in the Democratic primary with over $3.4 million raised, at least so far through July. Johnson cited John Hickenlooper's entry into the race, stating that he did not want to go negative against the former governor. Uh, Patty, do you think this is... Johnson was one of the only voices of the, of the many people running the Democratic primary that didn't come out and said when Hickenlooper got in, well, this isn't a coronation and I don't care that he's running. You didn't hear anything from Michael Johnson. Do you think uh, this will set a trend or is he by himself on the getting out to not have to go negative against John Hickenlooper? Well, he will not be the only person who gets out, but he could see the writing on the wall in his case. And let's remember when Hickenlooper first got into politics, which was with the naming of Mile High Stadium. When he led that campaign from behind the bar at the Wine Coop Brewing Company, definitely man of the people. We don't want to have it be taxpayer-funded stadium at Mile High. But that whole campaign to keep Mile High Stadium is really what moved him to the mayor's office, then moved him to the governor's office. So he, when he is on his game, to use a football analogy, really is pretty unbeatable. Will he be on his game coming out of the presidential race? Will he kind of get his mojo back and deal, get rid of the national ties, which I think really didn't do him a big favor last week when the nationals came out? I think he will become much more a man of the Colorado people, and I think Mike Johnston saw that. Mike had already just lost you know, the race against Polis to get the Colorado Democratic nomination for governor. So in this, why wouldn't he go and spend time with his nice family? He's got a great career. He's had a great career in education. He will have a long and great career after this, whether he stays in politics or wants to get back into education or do something else. But I think he did see he was not going to beat Hickenlooper in this. And I think Wisely didn't want to go negative because I think Hickenlooper will come back and try to do that (coughs) nice guy I'm not being negative to. David, what do you think about, and I realize you've mentioned this before, that uh, Hickelberg may not be considered moderate among Republicans, but in that Democratic field, he's on the moderate side of that. Does this give him that lane almost entirely to himself? Yes, in the modern Democratic Party, he's got the Menshevik lane all to himself, and there's a lot of fighting over the in the, in the Bolshevik lane. Uh, the... It's just the way of the world in in both parties that the National Senatorial Campaign Committee, when they see a potential pickup seat, they come in and and they see that there's somebody they think is clearly the strongest candidate. They come in and they bigfoot and they threaten and they do everything to try to clear the road for whoever they pick. And the other Dems in the race are understandably complaining about it, but that's how it's always been done by the uh, the national committees that, that lead a successful effort for their party that year. Um, and Romanoff saw this happen to him last time he was running for Senate, which was against Michael Bennett in, in 2010. And it could have been a pretty even race, and Romanoff had a lot of advantages, but oh, the Obama machine just turned on so massively and relentlessly pestered every Democratic voter who had no idea who these two guys are that Bennett is the Obama man, and that, that took Bennett over the top. You can beat the national establishment um, if you have a good campaign. An example of that was Marco Rubio, who was the former House Speaker, like uh, Romanoff was, you know, so he had a good base. And Charlie Crist, the governor of Florida, whose ideology is skin deep and that all he cares about is his tan, uh, was the preferred choice of the Republican National uh, Senatorial Campaign Committee. Rubio beat him in the primary, and it was a tough and an uphill thing, so it is, it is possible. 
that uh, Romanov could, could replicate Rubio's success, but he partly needs to clear out uh, the rest of the far left of the party uh, to get a one-on-one versus Hickenlooper. Eric, uh, it's almost guaranteed, I guess you can't say until it actually happens guaranteed, that Colorado will get, will get a eighth congressional district in, after the next census. Um, do you feel that Johnson might be saving this powder, as one of your terms, to run for that eighth congressional district? I'm sure it's on uh, Mike Johnston's mind. I don't think we've heard, by all, by all means, the last of, from Mike Johnston in a political sense. It depends where that eighth district gets carved. I, it's going to be somewhere... Denver, south suburbs of Denver, et cetera. I'm not sure it will be created for Mike Johnston. I think there's every chance it might be created for somebody of the other gender, maybe a a minority female, whatever. I think there are other names probably higher on the list than Mike Johnston. I think interesting analysis from both David and Patty. I I agree this was a wise decision, probably an inevitable decision on Johnston's part. He cannot afford a second loss uh, in, in, in short order because then your political career is really probably o- over. And he certainly could not afford a second loss in a primary. He couldn't afford to lose uh, two primaries back to back. It will not be the last withdrawal we see. I think, you know, th- there, there, there was a treasure trove of talent, and there is a treasure trove of talent uh, left in that race. And some names from John Walsh to Alice Madden to Dan Baer. Uh, obviously Romanoff. I don't know who's going to stay and who's going to get out. My prediction would be this thing David mentioned 2010 with Bennett and Romanoff, and I think it could come down to something like that with Hick and Romanoff, with Romanoff being the anti-being the, 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 the hard left, Medicare for all, all in on Green New Deal kind of candidate that really you know makes uh, liberal hearts go pitter-patter. Uh, Hickenlooper occupying much more the centrist, so to speak, in establishment lane. And my guess is the uh, outcome would be the same as in 2010 when Bennett beat uh, Romanoff and that Hickenlooper may well beat Romanoff with a few other candidates occupying the margins. Natasha, how ugly is this going to get? I mean, Mike Johnson's decision was really based on, I don't want to go negative, but with all these different people and uh, folks willing to go into uh, a further end of a spectrum uh, progressiveness-wise, do you think it's going to get pretty dirty? Well, it kind of depends on what you describe as dirty. Is this dirty on a personal level, in which case I think Coloradans have shown um, little appetite for that sort of politics? Mm-hmm. But if this is, if dirty includes going after Hickenlooper's record as both mayor and governor and, and raising some questions about decisions he made, I think that's a different conversation. And I think that is going to happen very quickly. It already has started on um, some level. And um, as these candidates have more and more opportunity to debate, that's what the, the conversation is going to focus on. If anything, I think people might bore of that, of having to talk so much about what Hickenlooper has done. Um, and so I think fo- candidates who can also focus on raising questions about that, but also bringing up what they want to do instead, what they might have done in that position as well, is going to be a more robust conversation for Colorado in general. But let's keep in mind, we are still over a year away. We are a long time away from the primary. Um, what I find fascinating is that we live in a political cycle where this is such important news right now, because people obviously care. So if it's going to get dirty, um, yes, I think that's a, p- a possibility. Um, and it's going to happen earlier than I think perhaps ever before. Freshman member of Congress Democrat Jason Crow has his first high-profile Republican challenger, Steve House. The former state chair of the GOP announced his bid for the Aurora Area Congressional seat this week. Before Crow was elected, Republicans had held the seat since its inception. 
David, uh, included with this story, we also have just heard right before we roll into here for our taping on Friday at noon that the Polish recall, shockingly, was not able to raise, uh, find 675,000 signatures, so uh, they came up short. Between the Polish recall failing and, at least so far, the highest profile candidate for what should be the most competitive district for Republicans in Congress, being Steve House, does this tell us more about the state, uh, the, the condition of the state GOP? Well, and I, I think it first of all tells us that the Colorado Constitution uh, very wisely sets the threshold for recall elections to be quite high. And obviously there, there have been some people who were so out of touch with and hostile to the interest of their district where the petitions were going to make, Rochelle Galindo would have, the petitions would have succeeded and she would have been recalled, and in other cases in previous years as well. But at the statewide level, getting 675,000 signatures on a mainly volunteer effort requires require outstanding coordination among the recall supporters, which certainly didn't exist, and they they never really put together the kind of, of massive grassroots that would be necessary. And that and that that's okay because it, it should be tough to uh, to start a recall election. Um, for the CD6, I think, you know, House, who's been Republican Party chair and so has a lot of experience about the mechanics of politics, um, you know, might have the, the nomination to himself. And, yes, it, is it an uphill thing for, for two reasons. One, it, it's a Democratic-leaning district, and the fact that it was in Republican hands was only because Mike Kaufman is just an outstanding candidate and, and worked super hard. And then it's in 2020 where Trump is certainly unpopular in Colorado and a drag on the Republican ticket there and, and all the more so in that in that district. But as the lottery advertising used to say, uh, if, if you don't play, you can't win. So there, there are plenty of people who have won elections where they went in with a more unfavorable situation than House is, and something happens during the election, you, you get lucky. You know, the Democrats could nominate some extreme left candidate who's just as unpopular with the voters as Hillary Clinton was and, you know, make it more of a, uh, a, a fair fight. Eric, you can take your pick here between the Polish recall and uh, the House announcement. I guess for me, the Polish recall, more news about it basically becoming just a really uh, a data acquisition campaign rather than a real recall campaign. As we're hearing more about that and saying, People signing these things just becoming uh, a mailing list for whatever party is going to do it. Is that going to eventually dampen these things, or are we just going to see more and more of these recall efforts? Well, let me try to do a quick take on each. On the, on the recall, it was doomed to begin with, uh, but let me call BS. In the article this morning, right before we taped, they're claiming, the proponents, the organizers of the recall were claiming to have at least 350,000 signatures and maybe when all was said and done as many as 500,000. But we're not going to show the petitions, we're not going to release them, and we will not release a final number. There I, were boxes of paper. I mean, I, you know. I call BS. I didn't think they'd get 100,000 signatures. I'm still dubious they got 100,000. Maybe they did, but they did not get 350,000 signatures and prove me wrong and be transparent if you want to prove me wrong. Uh, on, the, on the House race, 
Uh, David is correct in the sense of that was only a competitive district because of Mike Kaufman. When Mike Kaufman departed that district and got beat, I think it stopped being competitive. Do not bet the house on, on, on Steve House here. It will not be a, I don't think it will be a targeted race by national Democrats or by national Republicans. That will not be that district. Natasha, between both the headlines, what's your takeaway? Well, I think the recall fever that supposedly hit Colorado hasn't quite picked up the way that people expected it to. I hope it's a time for introspection to look at oh, why are we doing these and are they working, are they accomplishing what, they, what we want them to. Um, related to the, the House District, I, I spent some time this year reporting in Aurora, and while that's just a section of, um, of that district, I think it's important to look at some of the races that are happening there right now. So what, what may, might make more sense is instead of looking at 2020, looking at what's happening this fall is hit into their municipal elections, because that, I think, will give us some pretty good indication of what's happening in those communities, um, both in the city council race and the mayor's race, which Mike Kaufman is running for. That will be interesting to see, and he's, still, he's running against Ryan Frazier, among others, right? Mm -hmm. Should be interesting to watch. Patty, wrap it up for us. Uh, choice between Polish recall and the House announcement. Where do you go? Well, I'm going to stay with where Natasha was for a while. Aurora has become such an interesting city politically. You've got some young renegade council members. They went renegade even before we had people going rogue in Denver. They are bringing up really tough issues like the whole geo issue, the ICE detention center where we're seeing protests. There's going to be one later this month. There was one over Labor Day. We're going to see more before the election. Kaufman will be getting in there. There are going to be a lot of strong, strong debates and issues coming up in Aurora. And I think that's going to flavor what happens in 2020 in CD6. And I just don't see any way House is going to pick up any steam against Crow, who's gotten a pretty strong head headwind. As for the recall, those Polis people, the recall Polis people, were the loneliest people in Colorado over the last month. I don't think I ever saw anyone approach them. <laughs> On Tuesday, the Adams County Board of Commissioners unanimously approved a 1,000-foot setback for new oil and gas wells. Adams County is the first local government to take action under the new local control bill passed by the state legislature in April. Uh, Eric is... Adams County, an anomaly, or are they a trailblazer? More trailblazer than anomaly. I mean, you're not going to see this in Weld County and some other places that are much more oil and gas friendly, but it will not be confined to Adams County. I am personally shocked here. I thought Governor Polis, when he signed this legislation, didn't Polis suggest that this was the end of the issue and now it was going to be peace and harmony uh, on the oil and gas front. And obviously it's not peace and harmony. There'll be litigation uh, 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 in Adams County. Uh, I assume we will have an oil and gas and a repeal of 181 or quasi-repeal of 181 measure likely on the 2020 ballot. That will be a huge free-for-all fight. Uh, a year from now, it is certainly not the last word. Uh, and the Democratic Party and, uh, you know, it's a combination of the Democratic left here who really doesn't believe in oil and gas development with a heavy dose of nimbyism. If you're immediately affected, that I certainly understand. Natasha, what do you think about Adams County's role? Because they're, they're kind of a, a swing county when it comes to the metro area. That used to be mm -hmm. Jeffco and Arapaho, and they're there to a, a little bit of degree. But Adams County is the one that could really flip back and forth. But this was a 5-0 to zero unanimous decision to double the setbacks from 500 to 1,000. Does that surprise you at all? Well, 
Well, I think their constituents are probably speaking pretty loud and clear for them to have that decisive of a vote. And that's that's why they made the vote that they did. What I think is interesting is that we, we went some from the possibility of sort of having blanket controls across the state. And now we're going to have a situation where we might actually be creating jobs in the oil and gas industry because they're going to have to have more people in local municipalities trying to fight these regulations. <laughs> um, now, how long that would last, I don't know. But that's going to be very interesting as this plays out across the state because I think we're going to not have one or two models. We're going to have many models um, uh, depending on what each city or our neighborhood looks at and says, yes, I want this or no, I don't. And it should be this many feet or that many feet. I think the, the measuring stick is going to be very different from community to community. You know, one of those voices that was arguing against this was our uh, an alum on this table, our own Dan Haley, uh, who's the chairman of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, who said that these ideas were outside of the, the purview of the law. And we'll get into the legal argument with David, but Patty, what do you think about the reaction? Or is this going to trigger more things? Is this going to be an idea that other counties take advantage of? Oh, absolutely. And we've already had other counties take take a look at it, but it's just not on their agenda as quickly. Boulder County certainly has been looking at it, not the way Weld County is. It's the anti-Weld County. But in Adams County, fracking and drilling has come so close to so many residential areas that you can see why it's absolutely on residents' wavelength. One of the other things that is going to be become more important is these commissioner roles, council roles, as people decide they can take some control, whether it's going pro-gas and oil in Weld County or, much more likely, anti-gas. But we will absolutely see a repeal effort in, for 181 in 2020. And I think it'll be more popular and certainly better funded than the recall polis. <laughs> Uh, David, as I say, you are an esteemed lawyer at the table. Uh, is there a strong legal case here for folks like Dan Haley? Dan Haley wouldn't say that unless there was at least a respectable legal case. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens on that. I just think the, the Adams County commissioners should be intellectually consistent and non-hypocritical, and they, so they should uh, start spending their own revenue uh, to pay for all the unemployment insurance and the loss of good-paying, high-quality, blue-collar jobs, which they've just devastated in the county. And if they're so leave it in the ground and all anti oil and gas, then stop buying it. Stop buying oil and gas that comes from Weld County where they don't have a thousand foot setback. You know, they're, they're very hypocritical in saying, oh yeah, we're going to continue to consume stuff produced in other places. We just won't allow it uh, to be, be produced here. Go, go live on the oil and gas that can be produced with your ridiculous and extreme conditions and see how you like it. It's time for a very, very part of the show. Disgrace of the Week, as always. Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, the continuing decimation of the media business is an ongoing disgrace. Congratulations to the Colorado Sun for making it for a, for a year. But it is ironic that this is also marks the end, basically, of the Colorado Daily, which when we started Westward was a robust, independent college paper that did great journalism out of the University of Colorado. It's been absorbed by Alden Global, and they are losing their last employee. It might still have the name out there, but it is not going to be the same paper. Absorbed, absorbed by uh, uh, Alden, Glo- Alden Global? The hedge fund, yeah. Yeah, that, that's just a terrible cursing in the, uh, to any sort of media company. David. Uh, presidential candidates Beto O'Rourke and Cory Booker are saying they want people to be forced to sell their guns to the government. Um, 
But I did a background check on the federal government, and there's a long record of criminal violence against innocent people using guns. And, and frankly, if you look at the behavior over the years, a lot of mental instability and impetuous, reckless behavior. So I don't think any responsible person should be selling their guns to the federal government. <laughs> a creative approach. I like that, David. Eric, speaking of mental instability, a very toxic combination of four elements this week. Donald Trump... National Weather Service, Sharpie Pen, and Alabama. <laughs> I think enough said. Enough said. <laughs> Natasha. That's an ongoing situation, but apparently there are some fireworks let off on top of Mount Evans. Um, just a good reminder, we are not out of the woods yet. It's a difficult season, always for wildfires, so hopefully um, that won't be repeated. You think fireworks can be saved for the 4th of July and professionals, but you'd like to think that. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Well... Colorado agriculture, which just marked 150 years, big parties at the Colorado State Fair, and our governor has stepped forward to defend the honor of Colorado agriculture first. With the incursions from New Mexico, they're making fun of our chili. They bought ads. They've got billboards in town. Colorado's green chilies are good, too. Just go to Pueblo and you'll find out. And Polis also made nice with the Colorado Cattlemen's Association and the Beef Council after a little impossible burger issue, and they had a great kumbaya event this week. David. Uh, Robert Mugabe, who for the first time ever did something positive, which was die. Uh, he's one of the most evil people in the history of the African continent, mass murdering tyrant with a Korean-trained secret police who turned the bread basket of Africa into a uh, basket case of, of starvation. Uh, he was no national liberator. He was the, the epitome of evil. Uh, the country would have been a lot better off if he'd never been born and it had remained under British colonial rule. Spinal Tap, Bolshevik, Mugabe. That was, that was a, a couple hat trick. Eric. Did David get a dose of caffeine in these cups that uh, the rest of us didn't get this week? He has or, a special cup, yes. Uh, we talked earlier around the uh, Bronco Stadium about the start of football season, which happens this week. This goes back a couple weeks, but I want to say something nice about Andrew Luck, the quarterback, uh, now retired quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. He made a mature, grown-up decision of what was best for him and what was best for his family to walk away from the game. He deserves respect for that. Uh, and not the kind of booing that the Indianapolis fans gave him on his last preseason game and his last uh, trip to that stadium. Natasha. I'll give Polis another um, thumbs up this week. You know, as an editor who spends a lot of time agonizing over the perfect headline, sometimes simplicity is good. So kudos on the Office of the Future of Work. It is so straightforward that I love it. <laughs> what it actually means is probably going to be a whole different kind of story, but uh, uh, well said. And, and as we come to the end of the show, I want to give a reminder, we are starting off September, and it's going to be a huge month of programming here on CPT-12. Country music kicks off. You're going to see national advertising for that all over the place. You'll be able to watch as much as you want on CPT-12.org. Do, uh, uh, do not miss it. It's going to start September 15th, and you're going to see a special episode, a little bit of a preview in October, of a very special episode of Sound. 29th that we shot with John McEwen, that's right, with the, uh, from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. That was a really cool thing we just shot last week, and we're very excited to be able to share that all through your support. So if you want to see more shows like that, more opportunities, go to cpt12.org and become a member. For everybody here at Colorado Instant Out and at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.